And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. Who's that strange-looking man, thank you? That's Carl. I met him at the laundry, man. Sam Slade Detective Agency. Sam, sweetheart. I don't know what to do, Rabbi. Every night he listens to the radio. I can't keep him away. The Lone Ranger, uh, the Shadow, the Master Avenger. Uh, this is not good. It tends to induce bad values, false dreams, lazy habits. Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, it's the conclusion to The Great Gildersleeve, starring Hal Perry from 1945. Then it's a strange and terrifying tale told by the mysterious traveler from 1947. And by my side is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hey, Carl. What's happening in Hollywood? I'm wondering if you remember the movie Beaches. Beaches, yes. You remember that with yeah, Bette Midler? Yeah, Bette Midler, yeah. All right, so there's going to be a reimagining of Beaches oh. on the Lifetime channel, and guess yeah. who is going to be playing her role? Oh, gosh. It's, you, you know her name. Uh, is she the girl from... Um, no. Big Bang Theory? <laughs> no. Because she played her daughter it's, in one episode. No. Okay. That was a good guess. All right. Who is it's it? It's Adina Menzel <laughs> or Adele Dazim. It depends how Adina you want Bazim, to say it. Exactly. So, you know, every time I hear her name, it's kind of funny. She will step into Bette Midler's shoes yeah. to sing the film's iconic song from uh, the 80s. No idea. Wind Beneath My Wings. Thank you. You've Mike. got it. Good I know job. something. Right? Mike that was Stella. That was my song for my my wedding video. Oh, man. Right? What a depressing song, but it's beautiful, but really a downer. I don't know why I chose that. Oh, but my. But in any event, we can look forward to that. So, uh, Adina Menzel will play Bette Midler's role, and the other girl, her best friend, is yet to be cast. Uh-huh. Um, so, we can Maybe look forward to Maybe you can be cast in that. I could You're like, available. I, who said so? Yeah. <laughs> I'm your agent. I would love to be. Thank All right. You. Thanks, Lisa Wolf. <laughs> Thanks. All right. Last time we began this uh, very funny Gildersleeve episode from March 11th, 1945, where Gildy is the chairman of the Women's Committee. Here's Hal Perry in the conclusion now of the great Gildersleeve. <laughs> well, I had to go to bed for two days, but the body we home got its steam table. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what you're up against in a town like this, Leela. People probably think kissing is a little undignified for the Red Cross. Why, for goodness sakes, I think it would be very good for morale. But who's going to get any thrill out of watching that pudgy Mrs. Pettibone sit in Hogan's window and fumble with bandages? Now, Leela, be fair. This is for a patriotic purpose. Well, gracious. I guess I'm just as patriotic as anybody. If you're implying that I'm I'm not, not implying anything, Leela. I just don't see how kisses are going to win the war. Oh, so you're siding with her. I'm not siding with anybody, Leela. I'm just asking you to be reasonable. Oh, now I'm unreasonable. Oh, I didn't say that, Leela, but I've been asked to act as chairman of this. Oh, thing. you're the chairman. Well, let me tell you, Mr. Chairman, I don't want any part of anything that Mrs. Pettibone's connected with. Uh, but Leela... I'm sorry, Throckmorton. My supper's ready, and I'm sure yours is, too. How did I ever get into this? <laughs>
His second day as chairman of the Red Cross fundraising drive is only half over, but Gildersleeve's house is already buzzing with activity. <sighs> I don't see how we can get any more chairs in the living room, Bertie. Mr. Gildersleeve, we ain't got any more chairs. Oh? Well, maybe Leroy could bring down that rocking chair from the attic. Leroy saw this coming, Mr. Gildersleeve. He skinned out of here right after breakfast. Oh, that darn kid. Well, let's see. So I'll have to sit here as chairman, and there's room for three on the sofa. One here, two here, two here, and the four dining room chairs. That's twelve. Then if we can only... Answer that, will you, Bertie? I'll pull the piano bench around so somebody can sit on that. Yes, sir. Careful, it's another week. I'm coming. Oh, my goodness, that doorbell, too. Which one should I answer? Uh, you answer the phone. I'll get the door, Bertie. Yes, sir. Red Cross headquarters. No, sorry, Sonny. Leroy's not here. Who's calling, please? No, I don't know where he is. Just a minute. Mr. Gillespie, it's the water department. Are you home? Can't bother with water today, Bertie. Uh-oh, there goes the back door. Oh, Bert. You boys back the ball? I don't know. He must have taken it with him, Alvin. <laughs> now, you can't come in and wait. He's got I'm sorry that Mr. Gillespie's not at home. Goodbye. I don't think she believed me. Yeah, I don't care. What the devil's at the back door? Uncle Mort, there's a big truck in the driveway full of posters. The man says they're for you. Posters? Is that the man at the back door? No, the egg man's at the back door. Oh, my goodness. Tell the egg man to leave a dozen eggs and tell the other man to take the posters away. Hello? But they're Red Cross posters, Uncle Mort. They're beautiful. I don't care if they're painted by Tetrazzini. Get them out of here. Yes, this is Mr. Gildersleeve. Where should the man take the posters? To Mrs. Pettibone. She said up here. Oh, tell him to put them in the garage. Okay. <laughs> oh, yes. Hello, Mrs. Edwards. <laughs> yes, indeed, we are giving uh, having a meeting tonight at my house. Yeah, 219 Lakeside. Just take the south bus around 8 o'clock, yes. That's fine, Mrs. Edwards. Goodbye. Mrs. Edwards. Well, I don't know who invited her, but she'll have to sit on the floor. Yeah, hello, Mr. Gillespie. <laughs> What can I do for you this afternoon? Just give me a little peace and quiet, Phoebe, and a tuna salad sandwich. Tuna salad? It should be. I thought things had quieted down at your house the last few days. Well, they had. <laughs> last night, I got myself mixed up in something new. This is the worst yet, Peavy. A woman's committee. Oh. Mm. Having a meeting at my house tonight. At every chair I own, stuffed into the parlor. The women hanging from the chandeliers. Yeah, I know how that is, Mr. Gildersleeve. We have those things at our house every so often. Oh? Uh, committee? No, this is purely a social affair. Mrs. Peavy belongs to a reading club, and the ladies take turns meeting at each other's houses, and it works out so that the earthquake hits us about every six months. <laughs> yeah, earthquake is right, Peavy. But a reading club must be fairly peaceful. Yeah, wouldn't say that. <laughs> Last year, they were reading A Tree Grows in Brooklyn, and there was some pretty strong talk. Some liked the ending, and some didn't. Some said it was true to life, and some said it wasn't. Club had to go back to the Atlantic Monthly for a while to get back on an even keel. <laughs> That's nothing, Peavy. That's nothing. Why, a committee? Uh, here's your sandwich, Mr. Gillespie. Oh, thanks. Yeah. A committee is far worse than any club could possibly be, Peavy. Um, were you ever on a committee with a bunch of women? Yes, I've served. Well, <laughs> how'd you like it? Mr. Gildersleeve, some of my best customers are women. Stop thinking about your cash register, Peavy. Women are fiends, and you know it. Well, no, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> it's true, Peavy. Mark my words. We're going to have to fight them before we're through. 
Well, Mr. Gildersleeve, if there ever was a war to be neutral in, that'll be the one. <laughs> Listen, Phoebe, this committee is for the Red Cross, and these women want to kill each other over who gets credit for a $100 donation from the First National Bank. You ever hear anything as silly as that? Well, I was on a committee with some men once, air raid wardens, a few years back. And I remember they argued one night for two hours about whether we should paint the hose cart red or white. Red is the only color for a hose cart. Hmm, and you can't see it at night. Oh, don't be silly, Phoebe. All fire engines are red. Fact remains, you can see a white hose cart, and you can't see a red one. So, all right, paint it white. Why, George, you argue just like a woman. You argue just like an air raid warden. What? <laughs> no offense, Mr. Gildersleeve. Yeah? Some of my best customers are air raid wardens. Here, Peavy. Aren't you going to finish your sandwich? No. little milk to slosh it down with? No, confound it. I come in here looking for a little peace and quiet, and you get me so upset, I can't eat. Talk about your women. <laughs> Ladies, 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 please. As your chairman, if I may make a suggestion. Well, I frankly see no reason against it. Mrs. Pettibone, I can give you a very good reason. Well, if you ask me, I still think we'd do much better with a kitchen booth. Oh, really, Mrs. Ransom, if we've got to go through all that. Um, uh, ladies, if I might make a suggestion. If I might make a suggestion. No, I guess not. Drop off, there's someone at the door. Bertie, doorbell. It, been with us a long time. <laughs> Judge Hooker. Hello, Bertie. Thought you was in Chicago, Judge. I'm back. It's Judge Hooker, Well, well, ladies, this is a pleasure. I didn't know whether you'd still be in session here or not. Well, welcome home, Judge. Thank you, Gildy. You got here just in time. Ladies, it gives me the greatest pleasure to turn this meeting over to our rightful chairman, Judge Hooker. Oh, no, no, no. Don't let me disturb anything, Gildy. I'll just sit right here. Pray proceed. Oh, but I insist. After all, you're the chairman, Judge. I'm only acting in your absence. Pretend I'm absent. Yeah, but, Judge... Uh, let's get on with the meeting, shall we? Proceed, Gildy. The old goat. Uh, well, where were we? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I say we ought to have a kissing booth. Doorbell, Gildy. Bertie! Yes, uh, more interruptions here. Is uh, Mrs. Petty going here? Yes, sir, she is. Come in. Well, I'm her son. She asked me to call for her. Oh, my goodness, you're so big. I never even recognized you in your uniform. Oh, Charles, darling, come in and meet the ladies. We are not quite through yet. You don't mind waiting? Oh, not at all. I'm not going anywhere. Oh, girls, you all know my son. Oh. Uh, Charles is driving me home. <laughs> no, no, don't move. Don't get up. I'll sit just over here. Uh, hello there, Charlie. Oh, hi, Mr. Gillisleeve. Charles, my boy, it's an honor to have you here with us this evening. Well, thank you, Judge. Uh, don't let me interrupt the meeting. Oh, that's all right. The judge has already interrupted it. <laughs> Uh, shall we proceed, ladies? Mr. Chairman. Uh, yes, Mrs. Ransom? Since Judge Hooker's here, I should like to ask him whether he did or did not tell me that I was to roll bandages in Hogan's window. I've told you, Mrs. Ransom, the judge personally appointed me to represent the Red Cross at Hogan. If you don't mind, Mrs. Pettibone, I'd rather hear it from the judge. Yeah, how about that, Judge? Which of these ladies did you choose for the honor? <coughs> I am reminded of an old story about the trolley car conductor. <laughs> who, when a lady accosted him... This has a... nothing to do with any old story, Judge. No, it hasn't. Which of us did you say could sit in Hogan's window? <clears throat> Ladies, I find myself in the predicament of Paris when he was called upon to judge who was the fairest of women. Uh, but being of a judicial turn of mind, I lean more to the judgment of Solomon. In brief... 
I should like to see you both sitting in Hogan's window. The window isn't big enough for both of us. The state isn't big enough for both of us. <laughs> now, ladies, please, no petty jealousy. What's petty about? We're all working for the Red Cross here, you know. Uh, Mr. Chairman. Ah, uh, the chair recognizes Mrs. Pettibone. If I might be permitted to change the subject. Pray do. I should like to ask Miss Goodwin just why the public school started its Red Cross collection a day early. Well, I don't see that it makes much difference. Naturally, we wanted to make a good show. You knew so very well, Miss Goodwin, the children would collect from their mothers before the women's club could reach them. That's not true. No, You ladies. just wanted to get all the credit. Oh, no, she did not. Don't tell me. I wasn't speaking to you anyway. Well, I'm going uh, to... Ladies. <laughs> ladies, please. This isn't getting us any place. Judge, lend me a hand here. <laughs> Don't you just sit there laughing, you old goat? Now, ladies, quiet, please. Quiet. Judge Hooker wants to speak uh, Thank you, thank you By way of diversion, ladies I should like to suggest that we have an honored guest here tonight Young Charlie Pettibone Or I should say, Lieutenant Pettibone uh, Sergeant What's that? Sergeant Oh, Sergeant Pettibone, I'm sorry <laughs> No offense <laughs> Anyway, I think it might be nice if Charlie would say a few words to us Oh, no, no, please I, I, Oh, come, Charles, say something to the lady Yeah, come on, Charlie uh, Tell us some of your experience Gosh, I don't know anything to say I mean, tell us what it's like over there I remember the last war Of course, I didn't get across myself, but I remember it <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget one time We were stationed at Camp Upton And one morning the CO lined us all up Gildy What? Charlie was going to tell us about his experiences <laughs> Oh, yeah <laughs> Well, how about it, Charlie? How about those uh, French girls over there? Yeah, how about those mademoiselles? Parlez-vous Francais? Oh, you did <laughs> Hey, Charlie? <laughs> yeah, come on, Charlie Tell us all about it, huh? Well, all right I'll tell you about it over where I was, there weren't any French girls. There weren't any girls of any kind, except the army nurses and the girls from the Red Cross. I don't like to say this, and maybe I shouldn't, but coming back here and seeing what's going on, I, I mean, around home, and what I've heard here tonight, well, I've seen what the Red Cross does at the front, and I hate to think it gets this kind of a kicking around at home. John, if you're talking about us... No, no, wait, wait a minute, Mother. I know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you and everybody. I hope you won't get mad. But let me ask you something. You think the Red Cross workers with the Army have got time to worry about who gets the credit or who wears the uniform? They've got a job to do, and they get it done. Now, you're complaining because the school kids got out and collected the dough before you and your committee got moving. Well, I say good for them, because I know the kind of support the Red Cross is giving us in the Army. And I think the Red Cross ought to get the same kind of support here in Somerville, instead of a... A lot of people fighting among themselves and figuring what's in it for them. And well, if this is the kind of thing that's going on. I'm sorry I came home. Because I've said enough now. If no one else has anything to say, I move we adjourn. Second the motion. But first, I want to say this. There's going to be another meeting of this committee at my office at 8.30 tomorrow morning. 8.30? 8.30. And any lady who starts any nonsense, I'll punch her right in the nose. <laughs> Sweet. This is Ken Carpenter, speaking for the Kraft Cheese Company, makers of Parquet Margin and a complete line of famous quality food.
invite you to listen again next week for the further adventures of the Great Gildersleeve. This is the National Broadcasting Company. And that's the great Gildersleeve, March 11, 1945, with the chairman of the Women's Committee, starring Hal Perry. In the cast, B. Benaderet, Earl Ross, Lillian Randolph, Louise Erickson, Richard Legrand, Walter Tetley, and Shirley Mitchell, as heard on NBC, sponsored by Kraft. Let's take a break. Then it's more here on Hollywood 360. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Welcome back. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360. We have a podcast of this show. Just in case you miss any of it this week, you can go to Hollywood360radio.com. We podcast the show. We put the show up on podcast every Monday. You can have last week's show on Monday. Just go to Hollywood360radio.com. We also give you a bonus hour of classic radio, so you get the entire four-hour Hollywood 360 show, plus a bonus hour at uh, Hollywood360. 360radio.com. Plus, there's thousands of pictures of Lisa there and our schedule and our store. So check it all out. All right, it's time now for a good mystery on the mysterious traveler. Let's go back to July 6, 1947 for the locomotive ghost starring Maurice Tarplin as the mysterious traveler. Presents the Mysterious Traveler. This is the Mysterious Traveler. I invite you to join me on another journey into the realm of the strange and the terrifying. I hope you will enjoy the trip, that it will thrill you a little and chill you a little. So settle back, get a good grip on your nerves, and be comfortable, if you can. For in a few moments, you're going to meet a ghost. The strangest phantom that you ever heard of. But first, I want you to be my guest on a little train ride. We're running at 60 miles an hour on open track in the dead of night. Now we thunder through a sleeping village. Then beyond it, we plunge into the waiting mouth of a tunnel. Through the tunnel and into the open again. Over a trestle and on into the night. A little world of our own, rushing forward resistlessly, a symbol of power and speed and life. Yes, trains do have a life of their own, as you'll see in the unusual ghost story that I call. The Locomotive Ghost. My story starts some years ago in a hilly region of western Pennsylvania. It's almost midnight, and two men laden down with several handbags are moving cautiously over the rough ground beneath a railroad trestle. They come to a spot beneath one end of it, and there in the darkness, they stop and turn on a flashlight. All right, we can sit down and rest now. Are you sure this is the right spot? Of course, I'm sure. This is the loading spur. It branches off at a mine entrance. Main line's over there, about a hundred yards away. How, uh, how long do you think we'll have to wait? Five or ten minutes. 
These mine trains don't run in a minute the way they do out in the main line. Suppose uh, the money isn't on the mine train. They might have changed their plans. They'll be on it. Those miners are waiting for their pay, and the treasurer's bringing it himself. Plus bonus money and cash for operating the expenses. Big haul, my friend. $200,000. $200,000? That's a lot of dough, but... But what? You getting cold feet? No, no, of course not, but... Well, they'll be killed, won't they? The crew on the train? Forget it. I thought you were turning soft on me now after I spilled the whole plan to no, you. No, Joe, I'm not turning soft. Joe. What is it? Don't hear the noise, then. Over there. It's just your imagination. Oh, you're right. Somebody's coming. Keep the light steady. I got my gun handy. Who could it be? It's probably just a bum. He often sleep under his trestle. All right, you step where you are. Only me, boys. Just old Boomer. Who? Old Boomer, that's all. Looking for a place to bunk. Howdy, boys. It's okay, Tom. I heard of this guy. So you're old Boomer, huh? The one they call a king of the bums? Uh, not the king, son. Just a traveling to swan of them all. Fifty years I've been riding the rods, and I guess I've covered a million miles of track. Mind if I sit down here? Got a kind of ache in my bones. <laughs> sit down if you want to. Uh, thanks, son. <laughs> Say, uh... You fellas ain't bums. You're dressed too good. Never mind about us. Curiosity ain't healthy. <laughs> Old Boomer never fights with anybody. Live and let live's his motto. Listen, here comes number 25. It's mighty fine train, 25. Got a 16-wheel Mikado engine, can pull 20 cars at 80 on a level track. He's uh, 50 seconds late tonight. Do you know every train on the tracks? Uh, pretty near, son, pretty near. I ain't rode them all. I rode them all, I mean, from the Lackawanna to the Santa Fe. There ain't much about trains I don't know. Say, uh, you fellas wouldn't have a little nip handy to take the chill out of an old man's bones. No, we ain't got a little nip handy. Sure, son. No harm in asking. (laughs) There's the 25 passing mines, Bill, now. Ain't that whistle far off in the night a sweet, mournful sound, though? Yeah, it is kind of mournful. Sounds are far off and ghostly, don't it? Well, sometimes it is a ghost you hear, not a real train at all. What are you talking about? I'm just saying that sometimes when you hear a train whistling far off and mournful in the night, it ain't a real train at all. It's a ghost train. Ghost train? It's a lot of hooey. Uh, you just think so because you're young and don't know better. But old Boomer can tell you. There's ghost trains and plenty of them. They're the ghosts of trains that died in wrecks. Anything as live as a train... It's bound to have a ghost live on after. All right, can the chatter? You're hurting my ears. Well, let him talk, Joe. It helps pass the time. All right, but if you ask me, he's spotting a lot of bushwhack. Go on, Boomer. What were you saying about trains having ghosts? Well, I've seen them many a time. They're running the tracks with all the lights out, gone faster than the wind. Not a sound coming from them. I've seen the Heavenly Express, too, a couple times. What's the Heavenly Express? It's a special train, son. It's on the earth to heaven run. Travels a million miles a minute when it gets up speed. Takes a soldier railroad men from this world to the next. It always passes by when a wreck's gonna happen. That's enough talk. I'm sick of listening to you. All right, son. You don't believe me, but I know what I know. I... Glory be. I hear it coming. I hear it coming now. Hear what coming? The Heavenly Express. It's coming down this track. Listen. I don't hear anything. There's nothing to hear. Passing right by overhead. 
Now it's slow. It's gonna stop. It's never stopped before. That, that means Rex's gonna be here. Joe, he knows. That's it. That's what you're here for. You're gonna wreck that mine train. Hear that, old man? That's a mine train turning into this spur. You're right, we're gonna wreck it. No, you can't. You mustn't. But before we do, we gotta take care of you. And this is how we're gonna do it. Let's take a break here on The Mysterious Traveler. I'll have the conclusion after these words. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Now let's get back to The Mysterious Traveler. You shot him. I guess... Heavenly Express stopped for me, too. I sure hope so. But you fellas, it'll punish you. It'll follow you. Sure as I'm laying here. Oh, follow us. What are you talking about? The judgment special. It punishes fellas that wreck trains on purpose. It runs any place has tracks. And it follows them until it gets them. One way or another. Because... Murdering a train is like murdering a man. You gotta pay for it. You'll pay for it. You think I'm crazy, but you'll see. You'll see. Yeah, that shut him up. Crazy old coot. I wish I hadn't killed him, Joe. Don't be a sap. Couldn't let him live to tell what he knew, could I? No, no, of course not. Listen. I hear the mine train coming. We just got time to get ready now. Put the suitcase with the dynamite against the trestle here. That's it. Now, come on, help me unroll a wire. Yeah, yeah, sure, Joe. Anything you say. That's it. Keep coming. Uh, you gotta get plenty far away. Hit a train now? Yeah, I hear it. I can see the headlight, too. Look how bright it is. Okay, this is far enough. Take me just a second to hitch up the detonator. There it is. Now we're all ready. It's on the trestle now. Almost halfway across. What's the matter? You sound shaky. Listen, Tom, you're in this now, and it's too late to back out, you hear? Yeah, I know. It's it's almost across. All right, then I'll close the detonator. Now. There she goes. Three hours later, the two men, Joe Malone and Tom Henderson, were driving eastward through the night, far from the scene of the train wreck. Between them on the seat was a large handbag, and Joe Malone at the wheel patted it lovingly. Two hundred thousand bucks. Ha! You realize that, Tom? We got two hundred thousand bucks riding here between us. Yeah. Yeah, I know. What's the matter? You don't sound very happy about it. Sure I am. It's just... Just what? Well, I can't help remembering the crash when the mine train went to the ravine. The way the whistle kept screaming, just like the locomotive was something alive that was being killed. For Pete's sake, the whistle valve got stuck when the engine crashed, that's all. Sure, I know that, only... Well, I just can't help remembering it. Joe, the crew were all killed, weren't they? Suppose they were. What do you care? You're as nervous as an old woman. She should never rung you in on this job. I'm all right, really, I am, Joe. Listen, uh, what are you going to do with your hundred thousand? I'm heading for the big town. Going to have one swell time. Going to buy new clothes, stay at the best hotel in town, 
and really cut loose. Meet me in New York. I'll show you a real time. Where are you going to stay? This is Miller's boarding house. It's over on the west side. You can find it in the phone book. Uh-huh. I'm just staying there till I can buy some real classy duds. And I'm moving to Park Avenue. Always had a yen to live in Park Avenue. Now I'm going to see what it's like. Yeah, sounds all right. Maybe, uh... Joe, look out that train! What'd you do that for? Why'd you grab the brake? You stall us right here in the middle of a railroad crossing. I had to, Joe. The train on the track there in front of us, we almost ran into it. What are you talking about? There wasn't any train on that track? But there was, running without lights and not making a sound. You're crazy. I tell you, there wasn't anything in sight, not even a handcar. But I saw it, Joe. I heard of a train running without lights. That proves you're crazy. Well, maybe it was an empty. But if I hadn't stopped the car, we'd have smashed into the side of it. Uh... to suck you one. Now we're stalling the railroad track and the car won't start. I'll get out and push. Joe, look! A headlight! Real train this time. Coming around the bend. It's about 200 yards off. Joe, it's gonna hit us. We gotta jump. Yeah, but this door won't open. It's stuck. Come on, out this side. Come on, I got the bag. Oh, my coat's caught in the car door. I'm stuck. Help me. I can't, Joe. Jump! Mister, mister, you all right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm all right. But my uh, friend, he must have been killed. Yes, he sure was. So when do you get away and look at your car? There's pieces of it spread a quarter mile up the track. Whatever made you stop right there on the crossing? Car stall. Who are you? I- I'm the crossing watchman. Watchman? Why weren't you on duty? Why didn't you signal there was a train coming? Because I didn't know it, mister. That was the wrecking train taking doctors down to Mineville. It was unscheduled. Oh, I see. What about the other train, the one that went past going east just before the wrecking train hit us? Other train? Yeah. No other train due through here till 6 a.m. this morning. I saw it. I tell you, traveling without lights. No train ever travels without lights. It's again the law. Say, are you drunk? No, no, I'm not. Where are you going? Listen, I got a, a report to make on this. You got to fill out a form. Forget it. I'm not interested. Get away from here. I'm going to New York. Late the next afternoon, Tom Henderson reached New York. Not knowing where else to go, he hunted in the phone book for Mrs. Miller's boarding house that Joe Malone had mentioned and went there. Mrs. Miller gave him a room on the top floor. And there he carefully locked in the closet the precious handbag that held $200,000. All of it his since Joe's unfortunate death. After that, Tom went out to see New York's nightclubs. But he got back after midnight, feeling considerably more cheerful. As he was about to unlock his door, Mrs. Miller appeared in the hall. Mr. Henderson. Oh, oh yeah, Mrs. Miller. I was waiting for you, Mr. Henderson. Huh? It's turned so cool that I lit the gas heater in your room. Well, thanks a lot. I just wanted to warn you that you... What was that? What was what, Mr. Henderson? That, that whistle just now. What was it? A boat out in the river? Oh, that was a freight train, Mr. Henderson. Freight train? Here in the heart of New York? Well, yes. They come down the west side elevated tracks to the freight yard downtown. They run past just a few yards down the street. I didn't know that. I wouldn't have come here if I had. Oh, I'm sure they won't bother you, Mr. Henderson. Really, they won't. Well, good night. Good night. Oh, battle axe. 
she sure they won't bother me. It's too late to find someplace else where I'd leave here right now. I'll close the window. I'll keep the sound out. Anyway, suppose I can hear a train or two. But I'm going to hear them do me. I'm going to go to sleep and forget it. Yeah, forget it. I've got 200,000 bucks in my whole life ahead of me. <laughs> Should let an old coot like that boomer worry me. Joe's getting killed by a train was just an accident. Could happen to anybody. Me? I'm alive. Tomorrow, I'm going to start enjoying it plenty. You. That's right, son. You gotta wake up and get aboard. We're pulling out. Well, I'm at a railroad station someplace, but everything's so misty, I can't see much. No time for talking, son. Gotta get aboard. But I'm the only passenger, except for you and me, there isn't another soul in sight. And you're wearing a conductor's uniform. They promoted me. Now, come on, get aboard. I don't want to. I don't like trains. I don't want to go any place. Can't help it. This is a special trip just for you. And you got to be aboard. Come on now, up those steps. I... That's it. Now we're off right on time to the millionth of a second. Where, where are we going? What train is this? Well, it's completely empty except for me and you. That's right, son. It's a thousand car train pulled by 30 engines. And you and me are the only ones aboard. Well, where are we going? What, what train is this, anyway? It's the judgment special, son. And we're bound from this world to the next. No. No! Yeah, or any place there's tracks to judge up right outside your window and took your board. I don't want to die. I don't want to. You haven't any choice, son. You're on the judgment special and we're hitting a million miles a minute now. Huh? Look out the window. There's the earth way down below us. See it? Yeah. Well, I don't want to leave it. I don't want to go. Look at the stars flash by. We're going a million miles a minute. And it'll take us all eternity to get there. Yep. Here, I'll put the wind up so you can see better. Mr. Henderson, thank heaven you're still alive. I, I thought you were dead for sure. What, what happened? Well, you closed your window. I meant to warn you that with the gas heater on, you must leave it open. Well, you almost suffocated in your sleep. I... I almost suffocated? Yes. If I hadn't heard you trying to get your breath and hurried in and opened your window, you'd have been dead now for sure. The rest of the night, Tom Henderson spent sitting on a bench in the nearest park 
shivering at the nearness of his escape. The next day, he bought himself an expensive wardrobe. Then he checked into the biggest hotel on Park Avenue. There, just before he retired, he, he took a sleeping tablet. Yeah, that fix it. No dreams for me tonight. Ah, some layout. So this is what you can enjoy when you have money. And I'm going to enjoy it. I've been letting my nerves get the better of me. Not anymore. Feel better already. So out goes the light. I sleep like a millionaire. Yes, just like a millionaire. And so Tom fell asleep. But unfortunately, he did dream. And he knew he was dreaming, but he couldn't wake up. It was a very curious dream indeed. He dreamed that he got up and dressed, rode down in the elevator, that he walked out into Park Avenue, and there down the street he found a tiny door which he entered. It led down a flight of steep iron stairs to a dark tunnel far beneath the ground. There in the tunnel, a man was waiting for him. The man turned, and he saw it was his former pal, Joe Malone. Hello, Tom. Joe. Joe, it's you. Yeah. I've been waiting for you, Tom. But... But you're dead. I saw you killed. Maybe I'm dead. Maybe I'm not. You're dead. I know it. It's just a dream. I gotta wake up. Can't wake up. Don't you understand? You're never gonna wake up. I will. I oh, will. Oh, Tom. Now come along with me. I'm here to guide you. Where? Where are you taking me? Down this tunnel. See how it stretches out? On and on. How it keeps going down and down? No. What do you think it goes to? I don't know. I don't, I don't want to know. Come on now, Tom. I can't wait all night. No, I won't go. I'm going to wake you up. You can't, Tom. The night I was killed, you saw the judgment special. Now you can never get away from it. It's not true. This is... It's the dream. I'm safe in my own bed in the hotel. And you refuse to come with me? Yes, I do. I refuse. Listen, Tom. Listen to what? I don't hear anything. Listen. It's closer now. No. You hear that? That's the judgment special, Tom. Coming through this tunnel. Train. It's a train coming. And where are you going to go? You're in a tunnel, Tom. And no way out. It's, it's just a dream. It can't hurt me. It's coming closer, Tom. It's coming closer. No, it's only a dream. I gotta wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up, mister. Oh. Oh. Thank heavens I'm awake. I'd say not any too soon either. But... I... Who are you? So dark and... Carrying a lantern. Who am I, mister? I'm a track walker. Track walker? What do you mean? I mean that I inspect the track here under Park Avenue. What? How did I get here? Why, mister, a minute ago I found you walking in your sleep, your eyes tight closed down this tunnel right under Park Avenue. Park Avenue? If I hadn't met you, you never would open your eyes again, because number ten is due along here in three minutes. Then... And it wasn't a dream. I... I really am in a railroad tunnel. Yes, I am. I'll say you are. How you got here, I don't know, unless you came down one of the inspection doors from the street. But, brother, if this walking in your sleep is something you do often, take my advice and see a doctor. 
But Tom didn't go to a doctor, for he knew what a doctor would say. That it was his nerves, his guilty conscience. Now Tom felt he had to get away. Far away to a place where there were no trains to haunt him. At dawn, he bought a ticket on the first plane leaving for Canada. That afternoon, he found himself in a tiny town deep in the heart of Canada. There he hired a French-Canadian guide to take him by canoe far into the woods, away from any trace of civilization. Late that night, they arrived at the cabin where the guide lived with his wife. Tom unpacked his suitcase and joined the guide and his wife on the porch. For the first time since the wrecking of the mine train, Tom felt at peace. Oh, this is something like it. It is peaceful, is it not, monsieur? Yeah. Ah, monsieur's nerves are better already. Yes, this is what I need. Uh, how far is it to the nearest railroad? Oh, it is 80 miles, monsieur. 80 miles. Old Boomer said it traveled anywhere there were tracks. 80 miles ought to be enough. Pardon? I do not understand. Oh, uh, never mind. Uh, I've got to get some sleep now. Of course. Good night, monsieur. Good night, monsieur. What was that? Uh, what was what, monsieur? That... That whistle, then. It sounded like a train whistle. Impossible. It must have been an owl. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, sorry I bothered you. Good night. Tom entered his room and went to bed. But he could not sleep. He tossed and turned and at last got up and dressed. Oh, the moon is bright. I'll take a little walk. i got to calm myself down. There's nothing to worry about now, not a thing. Out here in the wilds, I'm safe. Perfectly safe. Tom left the cabin and entered the woods. They pressed thick around him. But an open passageway through the trees attracted Tom. He started down it, the moonlight illuminating his way. He paused and made a startling discovery. Well, I'm walking on old railroad ties. And there are tracks here, all rusted and loose. But the guide said there wasn't a railroad closer than 80 miles. He lied to me. He tricked me. A train. There's a train coming. It's coming toward me. There's a headlight. I gotta run. 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 Marie, Marie. Qu'est-ce que c'est que ça, Pierre? The nearest one. He's not in the cabin. He has wandered off into the woods. Oh, that is strange. We must go after him. Hurry, before he does himself an injury. It's still behind me. Still following me. I, I can't. I can't run anymore. I can't. I can't go any further. I gotta stop. I gotta stop. The judgment special, son. It runs any place there's tracks. And it follows you till it gets you. Because murder in a train is like murder in a man. You've got to pay for it. You think I'm crazy, but you'll see. Here it comes, son. No! No! He cannot be far now, Marie. See his footprints. Ah, he was running for half a mile. He would do himself harm running so hard in his darkness. Look, Pierre. 
Yes, sir. It is the nervous one. We have found him. He's lying face down. Wait. I will turn him over. Pierre, he lies so still. Has he done himself an injury? No, Marie. There is not a mark on him. Yet his face, it is twisted with fear. Pierre, is he... Is he dead? Yes, Marie, he is dead. His heart, he killed himself by running, no doubt. But what was it he ran away from? There is nothing dangerous in these woods. This is the mysterious traveler again. Poor Tom. The tracks he found himself on led to an abandoned logging camp. They hadn't been used in 20 years, and no train could possibly have run on them. Uh, except a ghost train. But of course, none of us believes in ghosts, so we just have to accept the coroner's verdict, which was heart failure induced by overexertion. Just the same, if you ever see a train running without lights and going faster than the wind... Don't be too sure it's only your imagination. And next time you hear a distant, mournful whistle in the night, you... Oh, all this talk about trains is making you nervous, and you have to get off here. I'm sorry. But I'm sure we'll meet again. Shall we say next week at the same time? You have just heard The Mysterious Traveler, a series of dramas of the strange and terrifying. In today's cast were Maurice Tarplin, James McCallion, Joe Julian, Bryna Rayburn, and Cameron Andrews. Original music was played by Charles Paul. The Mysterious Traveler is written, produced, and directed by Bob Arthur and David Kogan. The Mysterious Traveler has come to you from our New York studios. Carl Caruso speaking. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. That's the mysterious traveler from July 6, 1947, with a locomotive ghost starring Maurice Tarplin, as heard on Mutual. Let's take a break. Then it's more on Hollywood 360. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Next time, it's True Detective Mysteries, My Friend Irma, Four Star Playhouse, Boston Blackie, The Charlie McCarthy Show, and Suspense. From my co-host Lisa Wolf, executive producer Mike Costella, engineer Sam Wolf, Vince and Chris Lombardi, my crabby brother Vince Amari, Adam West, and me, Carl Amari, thank you all very much for tuning in. Stay safe. We'll see you next time. To learn more about Hollywood 360 or to contact us, visit our website at hollywood360radio.com. Adam West speaking.